Some of you may have heard that Disney Corporation is responsible for at least one real live ghost town. Disney built the Treasure Island Resort in Baker's Bay in the Bahamas. It didn't start as a ghost town. Disney's cruise ships were actually stop at the resort and leave tourists there to relax in luxury. That's a fact. Look it up if you have to. Disney blew $30 million on the place, and yes, $30 million. Then they abandoned it. Disney blamed the shallow waters, too shallow for their ships to safely operate, and there was even blame cast on the, cr- on the workers and saying that since they were from the Bahamas, they were too lazy to work at a regular schedule. That's where the factual nature of their story ends. It wasn't because of sand, and it obviously wasn't because foreigners are lazy. Both are convenient excuses. No, I sincerely doubt those reasons were legitimate. Why don't I buy the official story, you may ask? Because of Mowgli's Palace. Near the beachside city of Emerald Isle in North Carolina, Disney began construction of Mowgli's Palace in the late 1990s. The concept was a jungle-themed resort with a large, you guessed it, palace in the center of the whole thing. If you're unfamiliar with the character of Mowgli, then you might better remember the story The Jungle Book. If you haven't seen it anywhere else, you know it it is the Disney cartoon from the decades past. Mowgli is an abandoned child in the jungle, essentially raised by animals and simultaneously threatened or pursued by other animals. Mowgli's palace was a controversial undertaking from the start. Disney bought up a ton of high-priced land for the project, and there was actually a scandal surrounding some of the purchases. The local government claimed intimate domain on people's homes, then turned around and sold the properties to Disney. At one point, a home that had just been constructed was immediately condemned with little to no explanation. The land grabbed by the government was supposedly for some fictional highway project, Knowing full well what was going on, people started calling it Mickey Mouse Highway. Then there was a concept art. A group of stuffed shirts from Disney Company actually held a city meeting, and they tended to sell everyone on how ludicrous this project was going to be for everyone. When they showed the concept art, this gigantic Indian palace, surrounded by jungle, staffed with men and women in lion cloths and tribal gear, well, suffice to say everyone flipped their They flip their shit. We're talking about a large Indian palace, jungle, and lion cloths, not only in the center of a relatively wealth area, but also a somewhat xenophobic area of southern USA. It was a questionable mix at that point in history. One member of the crowd tried to storm the stage, but he was quickly subdued by security after he managed to break one of the presentation boards over his knee. Disney took that community and essentially broke it over its knee as well. The houses were raised, the land was cleared, and there wasn't a damn thing anyone could do or say about it. Local TV and newspapers were against the resort at the beginning, but some insane connection between Disney's media holdings and the local venues came into play, and their opinions turned on a dime. So anyway, Treasure Island, the Bahamas. Disney sunk those millions in and then split. The same thing happened with Mowgli's Palace. Construction was complete. There's... Visitors actually stayed at the resort. The surrounding communities were flooded with traffic and the usual annoyances associated with an influx of lost and irate tourists. Then it all just stopped. Disney shut it down and nobody knew what the hell to think, but they were pretty happy about it. 
Disney's loss was pretty hilarious in a way and wonderful to a large group of folks who didn't want this in the first place. I honestly didn't give the place another thought since hearing it closed over a decade ago. I live maybe four hours away from Emerald Isles, so I really only heard the rumblings and didn't experience any of it firsthand. Then I read this article from someone who had explored the Treasure Island Resort and posted a whole blog about it with all the crazy shit he found there. Stuff just left behind. Things smashed, defaced, probably ruined by the disgruntled former employees who had lost their jobs. Hell, the locals from all around probably had a hand in wrecking that place. People there felt just as angry about Treasure Island as folks here did about Mowgli's Palace. Plus, there were rumors that Disney had released their aquarium stock into the local waters when they closed, including sharks. Who wouldn't want to take a few swings at some merchandise after that? Well, what I'm getting at is that this blog about Treasure Island got me thinking, even though many years had passed since its closing, I figured it might be cool to do some urban exploration at Mowgli's Palace, take some photos, write about my experience, and probably see if there was anything I could get home as a memento. I'm not going to say I wasted no time in getting there, because honestly it took me another year after I first found out that Treasure Island article to get around going up to Emerald Isle. Over the course of that year, I did a lot of research on the Palace Resort, or rather, I tried to. Naturally, no official Disney site or resource made any mention of that place. That had been scrubbed clean. Even odder, however, was that nobody before myself had apparently thought to a blog about the place or even posted a photo of it. None of the local TV or newspaper sites had one word about the place, though that was to be expected since they had all swung Disney's way. They wouldn't be out there laundering their embarrassment, you know. Recently, I learned that corporations can actually ask Google, for example, to remove links from search results basically for no good reason. Looking back, it's probably not the probably not that nobody spoke of their resort, but rather their words were made inaccessible. So in the end, I could barely find the place. All I had to go on was an old-as-hell map I received in the mail back in the 90s. It was a promotional promotional item sent out to people who had recently been to Disney World, and I guess since I had been there in the late 80s, that was recent. I didn't really intend to hang on to it. It just got shoved in my books and comics from my childhood. I'd rather only remember it months into my research, and even then it took me another few weeks to locate the storage bin my parents had shoved it all into. But I did find it, however. Locals were no help, as most were transplants who moved to the beach in recent years, or old residents who just sneered at me and made rude gestures the second I managed to say, where would I find Mowgli's? The drive took me, though, an inordinarily long corridor of overgrowth. Tropical plants had, that had ran rampant and overpopulated the area mixed with the native species and flora that actually belonged there and had tried to reclaim the land. I was in awe when I re- reached the front gates of the resort. Tremendous, monolithic wooden gates whose supports to either side looked like they must have been cut from giant sequoias. The gate itself had been gouged in several places by woodpeckers and eaten away at the base by burrowing insects. Hanging on the gate was a sheet of metal, some random scrap, with hand-painted letters scrawled in black, abandoned by Disney. 
clearly the handiwork of some past local or an employee who wanted to make some small protest. The gates were open enough to walk through, though, but not drive. So grabbing my digital camera and map, whose flip side showed a layout of the resort, I set off on foot. The inner grounds of the place were just as overgrown as the entryway. Palm trees stood untended and ragged among piles of their own coconuts. Banana plants similarly stood in their own stinking, bug-riddled refuse. There was a sort of clash between order and chaos as carefully planted rows of perennial flowers mixed with obnoxious tall weeds and stinking blackened mushrooms. All that remained of any outdoor structures were broken, rotting wood and various charred bits of unidentifiable material. What was most likely an information booth or an outdoor bar was now simply a pile of assorted debris chopped up by past vandalism and ravaged by weather. The most interesting on the grounds was a statue of Baloo, the friendly bear from the Jungle Book, which stood in a sort of courtyard in front of the main building. He was frozen in a jovial wave toward no one, staring into the empty space with a silly toothly grin as birdshit covered whole swaths of his fur and vines ensnared his platform. I approached the main building, the palace, only to find outside of the building was covered in graffiti where the original paint had peeled and chipped away. The front doors weren't just open, they had been taken off of their hinges and were stolen. Above the front doors or the gaping maw where they had been, someone had once again painted, abandoned by Disney. I wish I could tell you all about the awesome stuff I saw inside the palace. Forgotten statues, forgotten cash registers, a full-fledged secret society of homeless bums, but no. The inside of the building was so stark, so bare, that I actually think that people had stolen the molding off of the walls. Anything that was too big to steal, counters, desks, giant fake trees, they were all resting amid this empty echo chamber that amplified my very step like a slow rat-a-tat of a machine gun. I checked the floor plan and headed to all the locations that might seem in any way interesting. The kitchen was, as you imagine, an, uh, an industrial food prep area with all the appliances in space, no expenses spared. Every glass surface was broken, every door knocked off its hinges, every metal surface kicked and dented. The, impi- the entire place smelled like very old piss. The huge freezer, not even remotely cool now, had row upon row of empty shelf space. Hooks hung from the ceiling, probably for hanging cuts of meat. As I stood inside for a moment, I noticed they were swinging. Each hook swung in a different direction, but their movements were so slow and small that it was almost impossible to see. I figured that it had been caused by my footsteps, so I stopped one from swinging by clutching it in my fist and carefully letting go, but within seconds it started to swing once more. The bathrooms were in much of the same state as the rest of the place, just like the Treasure Island Resort. Someone had mythic methodically smashed each porcelain commode with coconuts and other implements, and there was about half an inch of rancid, stinking, stagnant water on the floor, so I didn't stay there very long. What's odd is that the toys in the sinks and in the bidets in the ladies' room, yes, I went there, all dripped, leaked, or just ran freely. It seemed to me that they should have shut the water off long, long ago. There were plenty of rooms in the resort, but naturally I didn't have time to look through them all. The few I did peer were similarly wrecked, and I didn't expect to find anything there. I thought there was 
actually a television or radio in one room as I really thought I heard a quiet conversation coming out. Though it was like a whisper, probably my own breathing echoing in silence, or just another case of the sound of flowing water playing tricks on my mind, and this is what it sounded like. I didn't believe it. Short, unknown reply. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Your father told you. There was an unknown reply or possibly just weeping after that. I know I know that it may sound ridiculous, but I'm just telling you what I experienced and why I thought they might have been something running in that room, or worse, some vagrants who had holed up there and probably would have knifed me. At the front doors of the palace again, I figured I hadn't found anything of note and had wasted the trip up. As I looked out the door, I noticed something interesting in the courtyard that I had apparently missed. Something that would give me at least one thing to show up for all my trouble, even if, if it was just a photograph. There was a lifelike statue of a python, maybe 80 feet long, coiled up and sunning itself on a pedestal right in the, cor- in, in the center of the area. It was almost time for the sun to start setting, so the light fell onto the object in the perfect way for a photograph. I approached the python and snapped a photo. Then I stood on my toes and snapped another. I moved closer again to get the detail of its face. Slowly, casually, the python lifted its head, looking directly into my eyes, turned and slithered off the pedestal across the grass and into the trees. All 80 feet of it, its its head long disappeared into the woods before its tail even left the sunning spot. Disney had released all their exotic animals onto the grounds. Right there on my floor pan map, was a reptile house. I should have known, but I read about it and about the sharks at Treasure Isle, and I should have known they'd done this. I was dumbfounded, just utterly stupefied. My mouth must have been hanging open for the longest time before I came back down to earth and snapped it shut. I blinked a few times and backed away from where the snake had been, back toward the palace. Even though it was totally gone, I still wasn't taking any chances and backed away into the building. It took a few deep breaths and slaps to my own face to get myself right in the head again after that. I looked for a place to sit down as my legs were feeling a bit like jelly at this point. Of course, there was no place to sit down unless I wanted to recline in the broken glass and dead leaf carpet or haul myself up to a desk of questionably reliability. I had seen some stairs near the palace's lobby and decided to go have a seat there until I felt better. The staircase was far away from the front of the building to be relatively clean, save for a startling a- accumulation of dust. I pulled a, wesh- a pu- I pulled a wedge of metal off the wall and once again painted with the abandoned by Disney motto I had become accustomed to. I placed the wedge on the stairs and sat on it to keep at least somewhat clean. The stairway led downward, below ground level. Using my camouflage as sort of an improvised flashlight, I could see the staircase ended in a metal mesh door with a padlock. A sign on the door, a real sign, read, Mascots only. Thank you. This perked up my spirits a little bit for two reasons. One, a mascots only area would have been definitely had some interesting stuff back in the day, and two, the padlock was still in place. Nobody had gone down there, not the vandals, not the looters, nobody. This was the one place I could actually explore and perhaps find something interesting to photograph or willingly steal. I had come to the palace essentially agreeing with myself that it was okay to take anything I wanted because, hey, abandoned. It didn't take much to bust the lock. Well, actually, that's wrong. It didn't take me much to bust the metal plate on the wall that 
the padlock was hooked onto. Time and decay had done most of the work for me, and I was able to bend the metal plate enough to pull the screws right off the wall, something nobody else had apparently thought of or hadn't been able to do at the time. The mascot's only area was startling and very welcome change from the rest of the building I'd seen. For one, every second or third fluorescent light overhead was illuminated, even though they flickered and faded randomly. Also, nothing had been stolen or broken, even if age and exposure were definitely taking their role. Tables and notepads and pens were, and there were clocks, even a punching clock on the wall complete with filled out time cards. Chairs were scattered around, and there was even a small break room with an old static-filled television and long-rotted-out food and drink on the counters. It was like one of those post-apocalyptic movies where everything is left in the state of evacuation. As I walked the maze-like sub-basement hallways of the mascots-only area, the sights just became more and more interesting. As I went further, desks and tables knocked over, paper scattered and almost melded with the damp floor, and... A large carpet of mold was slowly overtaking the real rotting crimson floor covering. Everything was just sort of squishy in a way, and anything would disintegrate into mush when I applied even the least amount of force, and clothing items hanging on hooks in one of the rooms simply fell moist threads if I tried to unhook them. One thing that annoyed me was the light was becoming more and more sparse and unreliable as I went further into the dark, suffocating depths of the place. Eventually, I reached a blocking yellow striped door with the words Character Prep 1 stenciled on it. Door went open at first. I figured this was probably where the costumes were kept, and I definitely wanted a photograph of that twisted, stinking mess. Try as I might, whatever angle or trick I tried, the door wouldn't budge. That is until I gave up and started to walk away. That was when there was a slight popping sound and the door creaked open slowly. Inside, the room was completely dark, pitch black. I used the camera flash to look for a light switch in the wall by the door, but there was nothing. As I made my surge, I was jarred out of my sense of excitement by a loud electrical buzz. Rows of lights overhead suddenly flashed to life, flickering and fading in and out like the rest I had passed. It took a second for my eyes to adjust, and it seemed like the light was going to just keep getting brighter until all the bulbs exploded. But just when I thought it would reach that critical stage. The lights dimmed a bit and steadied. The, r- the room was exactly as I had pictured it. Various Disney costumes hung on the walls, fully put together like strange cartoon cavities hung from inv- invisible nooses. There was an entire rack of lion cloths and native clothes on hangers and located toward the back. What I found odd and what I wanted to photograph right away was a Mickey Mouse costume at the center of the room. Unlike the other costumes, it was lying on its back in the center of the floor like a murder victim. The fur on the costume was rotten and shedding, creating bare patches. What was even odder, however, was the coloring of the costume. It looked like a photo negative of the actual Mickey Mouse. Black where he should be and white where white should be and... Yeah, reversal colors is what I'm trying to say here. And the normally red overalls were light blue. The sight was off-putting enough that I actually put off photographing the thing until last. I took a picture of the costumes hanging on the walls. Upward angles, downward angles, side shots to show an entire row of frozen, putrid cartoon faces. Some with plastic eyes even missing. Then I decided to stage a shot. Just one of the bed 
bedraggled character heads on the slick, grimy floor. I reached for the headpiece of a Donald Duck costume and carefully removed it so the thing wouldn't fall apart in my hands. As I looked into the face of the wide-eyed, moldering head, a loud, clattering sound made me jump with fright. I looked down at my feet, and there between my shoes was a human skull. It had fallen out of the mascot head and shattered into pieces at my feet. Only the empty face and lower jaw remained, staring up at me. I dropped the duck head immediately and, as you would expect, moved for the door. As I stood in the dory, I looked back to the skull on the floor. I had to take a picture of it, you know? I had to. For any number of reasons, that may seem silly, but if you don't think it through, though. I need proof of what happened, especially if Disney was going to somehow make this go away. I had no doubt in my mind right from the start, even if it was just gross negligence. Disney was responsible for this. That's when Mickey, the photo negative, opposite Mickey, in the middle of the room started to get up. First sitting up, then climbing to its feet, the Mickey Mouse costume, or whoever was inside of it, stood there at the center of the room. Its fake face just stared directly as a mumbled no over and over. With shaking hands, a violently thrashing heart, and legs that once had again turned to jelly, I managed to lift the camera and aim at the opposite creature now quietly sizing me up. The digital camera's screen displayed only dead pixels in the shape of the thing, and it was a perfect silhouette of the Mickey Mouse costume. As the camera moved in my unsteady hands, the dead pixels spared, mirroring the screen uh, wherever Mickey's outline moved to. Then the camera died, went blank and quiet and broken. I raised my eyes once again to the Mickey Mouse costume. Hey, it said in a hushed, perverted, but perfectly executed Mickey Mouse voice. Want to see my head come off? It started to pull out its own head, working its clumsy, glove-clad fingers around its neck with clawing, impatient movements similar to a wounded man trying to pull himself free of a predator's jaws. As it worked, its digits into its neck. So much blood. So much thick, chunky, yellow blood. I turned away as I heard sickening tearing of cloth and flesh, only cared about getting away. Above the doorway of this room, I saw the final message clawed into the metal door with bone or fingernails, abandoned by God. I never got the picture out of the camera. I never wrote the blog entry about it. After I ran from what, from that place for the sanity, not if only my very life, I knew why Disney didn't want anyone to know about this place. They didn't want anyone like me getting in, and they don't want anything like that getting out.